Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into a Friday edition of the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Marez, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Timothy Legler. Legs, it's Friday. Happy Friday to you. How you doing? Happy Friday. I'm good, man. Light schedule last night, but uh, you couldn't ask for two like more, I guess, dramatic finishes than we got last night, so we're going to get into that. I love it. We are going to get into that. We're going to talk a lot of Pacers today. The Pacers are, are every every show we kind of hone in on one or two teams. Today, that's going to be the Indiana Pacers, the league's best offense. I'm not, I don't want to spoil too much, but they might show up in my favorite teams to watch so far this year list. They might be very high on that list, actually. Um, we're also going to talk, yeah, Hawks uh, Magic, which had a very interesting finish. We're going to talk Benedict Matherin. And then as we start to add layers to the show, it's going to become more and more interactive. You know, we've got Legler for an hour, spitting nothing but knowledge about the, the NBA and about basketball. So we want to make this show where you can send in your questions. Today, we got some great questions from our listeners that he's going to answer on the air, give his perspective on. And then on Fridays, as we always do, we're going to debate who won the week around the association. But first, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with promo code ALLNBA. Because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, legs. Let's get into this. Last night, the Bucks, who have been reeling on the defensive end all year, get matched up with the number one offense in the NBA, and the result was a very high-scoring affair. 126-124. The uh, Pacers pull it out at the end. Milwaukee, I thought, Giannis, who goes for 54 points and was dominant all game, got a little clunky down the stretch, had a couple of turnovers. What did you see from this game that stood out to you? I think the first thing that I that I would say is as I'm watching the game, I'm, I'm literally having this dilemma in my head, right? This, this, this battle between are guys like just have they become that much more skilled or is the defense <laughs> in this game awful? 
Like that's what yeah. I was trying to, I was torn because the shot making was, was incredible. And there was like across the board, there were so many guys like banging out shots. But then when you really watched it, a lot of them were good looks. And like, even what Giannis right. did, obviously the big night, 54 points. Um, and he was trying, I think there at one point, he got 54 early. He needed one more basket to break his career high and he couldn't quite right. get there. Um, right. But I'm watching him and I'm saying, if there ever is such a thing as a guy getting an easy 54, that's what it felt like to me watching Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're just, they didn't feel like there was a lot of resistance, but so I, but I don't want to, I don't want to not give credit to the talent offensively that was on the court and on display last night. So I think that's the first thing for me in watching the game, just, you know, this, this track meet where there's a shot made after shot made on both ends of the floor and you're wondering like, at any point, will someone get a four to five possession stop, you know, strung together? And it didn't really happen. Uh, and as it, and it turns out, Indiana, they dug their way out of a hole. They kept scoring all the way through the wire and they get the win. Well, let's go back to Giannis really quick because 54 points, <laughs> we don't want to get numb to it when a guy puts up those kind of numbers. But to your point, and Indiana has done this a handful of times so far this year in the games that I've watched them where they have decided they're going to guard guys straight up. And for three quarters of this game, Giannis is great as he is. And by the way, they don't have somebody to guard Giannis. This isn't like they have a good matchup, so we're going to go one-on-one -on -one and not send help. They had bad matchups. There were switches, and they weren't sending help. So I have to imagine some of the strategy through three quarters. They adjusted at the end, and it made a difference. But some of the strategy was deliberate, that they thought, okay, we're probably going to give up 40 to Giannis tonight. Instead, they give up 54, and they had to adjust. But that seemed deliberate to me. Definitely was. And it, you're right. Personnel dictates that to a certain extent for Indiana. They just they don't really have that guy. Nobody really does. But so, some guys, you know, are, are built right. a little bit more for that to at least offer better resistance at, at his initial point of attack or his first step. They don't really have that. Um, I think for me that what was kind of head scratching and, and every time I see Giannis have a night where it's just he does what he wants yeah. at will, I say, you know, the one part of his game that is still the area you want to force him into is making passes off the dribble. Mm. He's not great at that. He will turn it over. He'll run people over and trying right. to, you know, get deep into the lane and you put that extra body on the edge of the lane and load up and wall up on him. He'll make those mistakes and force kickouts and, and see, and look, you know, they obviously have guys that can shoot the basketball they have around him for a number of years, but, Let's see tonight, what do those guys have? And are they banging out shots? And are you willing to commit and live with it beyond, oh, they make a two or three and now, okay, forget it. Stay, you know, we're not going to leave these guys. Like right. really commit to it for, for a game or a half and see, number one, on the straight line dribble drive stuff. Like are you getting that guy to the edge of the lane that's on the corner shooter and forcing the kick to the corner? Because I still think he's reluctant to make that pass because he's such a voracious scorer that, he, hey, maybe he commits an offensive foul. Maybe he throws it at somebody's feet out in the corner. They don't get a clean shot. And then also on his spins, Giannis loves to spin. Both directions, he loves to spin. He goes middle, he spins back to the baseline. He goes baseline, he'll spin back to the middle. There should be somebody in his lap coming out of that spin every time to see if he has the ability to pick that thing up under control and get it to the other side of the floor for an open shot. I don't think Indiana really dared him to do those kinds of things. And as a result, he gutted them 19 for 25 from the field. I mean, and he had a great night, great night from the line too. 16 for 18 yep, from the line, yep. which is a little bit of an anomaly for him. And here you go, 54 and 12. Now look, Indiana wins the game.
So afterwards, yeah. I mean, Carlisle, those guys probably feel like, well, yeah, that's what we wanted to accomplish. We did it. Um, he can have what he wants. Um, and that's how we're going to play him. We're not going to allow those guys to just destroy us from the three-point line. They made nine threes. That's a low number for Milwaukee. And and on the other side, you know, the Pacers made 20. They shot 48 of them, by the way, which is an insane volume. But that to me, it just seemed clear that, that was the strategy. And it almost they almost went too far. They did have to adjust down the stretch. But it did seem like they were content to live with, all right, Milwaukee's going to get a bunch of twos. We're going to run and space you out and get a bunch of threes. And um, – the, the only one of the backfires of that plan was Giannis, and this is courtesy of NBA University, Giannis had six and ones last night. <laughs> just, wow. So the Pacers not only were giving up the two, but they were they had some really dumb fouls. I think they had a couple of and ones on dunks. You know, if you're if you got Giannis, you better foul him. You be, he better miss. You better put him on the line for two, not for the extra one. But the strategy seemed to work. And then to your point about loading up with the help, attacking the spins, it's a good one. Last night in the fourth quarter, though, they sold out and were trapping him at the logo. They were trying to make him make plays far from the basket, and I was kind of surprised at how much he struggled with that one down the stretch, um, making plays there. But let's 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 go over one other question I have for you, and I'm curious what you think. Early in the season, the Milwaukee Bucks look like a horrendous defense. What is your insight as to why they have become such a bad defense this year? Well. All right, so let's look at first. The first thing you'd look at in that situation is is you know there, there's there's a coaching change, okay? yeah. so that 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 could play into it. I mean, there's a certain identity with teams and and a certain continuity that Budenholzer had with that group, right? So that that's part of it. There's a coaching change, and maybe there's maybe there's a different uh, philosophy. There's different calls. There's different terminology. There's different things you're going over in practice. It's, so that part is different for a new coach. So that's part of it. And then you start looking at personnel. You, know, they, 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 you don't have a Drew Holiday there, right? Dante DiVincenzo was a guy that really helped them defensively with his energy, and, and he was one of the better perimeter defenders on their team. Now, look, they still have enough guys that can do it, but losing Holiday's big, and then I don't, I don't think Chris Middleton is, is the impact defensive player that he once was. Um, and, and I think so there's a little bit of a tail off there. But – that's nitpicking because they still have Antetokounmpo. They still have a great rim protector in Lopez. Right. Beasley likes to get after it defensively. Jay Crowder has been known for his defense in this league for a long time. Pat Connaughton really guards and gets after it. So they have more than enough guys. Bobby Portis competes. They have more than enough guys. So I think maybe it's more the coaching change is affecting like th their mentality about defense. And it's early in the year. Also, listen, I also think some of this is – when you're scoring a lot, you're scoring easily the way that the Bucs do, and it's early in the season, and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're playing for bigger picture stuff. Maybe they haven't really put their foot on the gas on that end yet. That, so you add all that up, and I think you're seeing it. I can't give you a great answer on it, but I think the coaching yeah. change would be where I would look first because the continuity they had with the previous staff. Brooke Lopez has looked especially frustrated, I think, as the year has gone on. Last night, there were a handful of plays where, you know, Pacers get a wide open layup off of a blown coverage. And you could see him like putting his hands in the air, yelling at guys. And I do wonder if there's a little bit of, you know, to all those, to your point, where is the focus scheme changes, bringing him up the floor a little bit more, maybe creating more rotation when he's been such a good drop defender, some, some things to keep an eye on. I do like, you mentioned good defenders. You know who I really like on their team? I like Marjan Beauchamp, and I like yeah. what I saw last night from Andre yeah. Jackson. I like what I saw from him in the summer league as well. But those two guys, I know they're both green because they're young players, but they have great length. 
they're really skinny and super mobile and they just make hustle plays. They came back in that game. They were actually down quite a bit. They came back in that game in large part because of just the energy those two guys brought to the to the game. Yeah, they were getting smoked early. I mean, they 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 were yeah. they, they couldn't get a stop at all. In Indiana came down, did whatever they wanted to. Uh, Benedict Matherin had a great start to the game that kind of got them out of the gate. And Milwaukee, you're right. They found themselves. I don't know what the biggest deficit was. Was it maybe 18, uh, maybe yeah. 20. Maybe it got to it 20 more. Yeah. But this was early in the game, you know. And obviously, it, and you and I, I think talked about this one time. Like, there's never been an era in the NBA that a 20 point lead means less than it does now. <laughs> so true. There are more. There are more 18 to 20 point you know leads erased on it on a nightly basis in this league than we've ever seen, and it's because obviously. The, the, the three-point shot and the prevalence yeah. of that and how quickly you can make up deficits. And also, I think, you know, it's not quite as physical on the perimeter, so there's a lot of freedom of space. So if you, if you – and everybody in the league is so skilled now, that lead doesn't mean anything, especially early in the game. Like, go up 20 against Milwaukee, when they cut it to, like, six yeah. and Rick Carlisle called timeout, like, he wasn't even surprised at that point. He's like, yeah, I kind of expected that. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen um, and because that's just what the league looks like. Yeah. But – their defense certainly was not up on their toes at the start of the game, and Indiana is a very good offensive team, and they took advantage of it. So let's go over to Indiana because we want to spend some time on them. They're such an interesting team, but I want to start with the defense. They're obviously a great offensive team. When we talked about guarding Giannis straight up, and I'm trying to figure out why they're doing it and this or that, and I do think it's the shot variance, threes versus twos or whatever, but I think another part of it is they're pretty small. And when you get into rotation and you have a small team, you have more ground to cover. You're less intimidating as you run out on guys. And I wonder if that is part of it is we look at this Pacers team, their trajectory is that this is an up and coming team. They're not title contenders. So I don't know that they're worried about plugging all gaps. They're probably more worried about figuring out who their guys are going forward and building us an identity and a system. But to me, I don't know if they can be good on defense given their personnel. I think they can be phenomenal on offense. I think that's sustainable, but I don't know if they have a defensive upside. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be talking much about them, uh, you know, in the defensive realm like this year as as the wow. Have you seen the Pacers defense over the last 10 games? Like, I don't think right. that's going to come. And that's actually interesting to me. I mean, Rick Carlisle is a guy that's been in the league forever, <sighs> uh, won a ton of games in this league, and, and he's a very, very smart guy, very good offensive coach. But one time early in his career, he was more like defensive minded. I think he's kind of succumbed like a lot of these coaches succumb to like this is how you win now in the NBA. It's more about can you get to a certain number? Now, you can't be a total sieve defensively and, and be treated seriously in this league, but you can definitely be a mediocre defensive team and, and, and still have a great year, be relevant, be a playoff team. You can still do that. Um, and on given nights, if you've got the best, best offensive players late in games, you know, and, and I think yeah, Halliburton's a guy that can really dictate and control things late for them, then you got a chance to win some games. They're six and three out of the gate. I don't think anybody expected them to be six and three. I didn't talk much about the Indiana Pacers before the season. Uh, it's going to be done because they are a high octane offensive team with an elite level floor leader in Halliburton who can pick you apart with his vision, or he can get thirty, or some nights both. Yep, some nights both. Yep. Other than other than him, Adam, they got a lot of like nice players. I, I think Matherin is a guy we're going to get into more. Matherin, I think, has a has has a ceiling that's going to move, continue to move as people watch him. Everybody else, though, I I kind of feel like you know what they are. Like Obi Toppin, yeah. I texted I texted Tom Thibodeau the night they drafted Obi Toppin in New York, 
and I, I loved him so much in college. I said, man, you might have just – I think he you know, was the seventh pick maybe. I said, you might have just got the best player on the board, and they were very excited about him. Now, here we are. He's in the second team, not seeing a ton of growth out of him. So I don't know if that's uh, that book's written, but he's another guy. I look at a lot of potential, but it's really about Halliburton, Matherin, and then some really nice role players that fit in well for them. And they, because of Halliburton, this team's going to hum offensively. And yeah. that's how they're going to win games. We're not going to get too much into their defense, I don't think, all year. I want to let's go back to Halliburton here. He is, I would say, for there's a mold of passer right now, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, phenomenal passers. But it's them. The ball's in their hand, and, and, and it's a style. And then there's another mold of, of passer that I would say has contagious passing. Jokic is, is one of these guys, right? He's a great passer, but it kind of gets everybody moving the ball. I think that Halliburton is in this category as well, a contagious passer. He's not just holding the ball, directing this or that, although he can do it. He makes quick reads. He cuts off ball. He moves. He just gets the ball moving, and then he's the best in that system. I'm so high on him. And here's the take. He's young. He hasn't been in the league long, and he's captaining a number one offense in the league. I think he might be one of these guys that is always captaining a top five offense every year, a la Steve Nash. I'm not saying he's as good as Steve Nash, but Steve Nash was a guy that he's just going to have a top five offense, whoever you put around him. I think Halliburton might be one of these guys. It's a great call on him. And, you know, I said it before we came on. I said, uh, you know, have you seen a guy in your memory that had more like a funkier looking game that was this good? Like there's just when you watch him, right? He's like this herky jerky start stop stuff. He's got these long skinny legs like a flamingo out there, and and he's got a shot that certainly isn't something you'd make an instructional video out of, right? right. But he's incredibly accurate with it. Hit the dagger three last night on a deep step back, but it's his the thing that sets him apart is his ability to make every pass on the floor. And there aren't that many guys in the league that can do it. I mean, there's a handful of guys. Luca's in that category. LeBron James is in that category. Halliburton is in that category. And you, you need length and size to be able to do it. And he's got that. But then you have to have, to have this innate ability to be able to see everything peripherally, know ahead of time where the defense is going to move. And then the last part is like the velocity that you need to get the ball from point A to point B. Yeah. Like it's a big, it's a big thing. I talk about that a lot because I was a shooter and I liked having that ball delivered crisply because it gives you extra time. Halliburton can do all of that. So he, you know, he can score, he can defend, he can do all those things. It's his passing that sets him apart. And I just look at his numbers this year, Adam. He's only had one game uh, under 10 assists on the season. And here's the, here's another impressive stat. Only twice all year has he had more than three turnovers in a game. A lot of these games, he's got two turnovers or less. For a guy getting 10, 11, 12, 13 assists in a game on a given night to get and two, three turnovers, lots you of, lots of fast pace, right? Making great decisions. And these aren't like, he's not a guy who's playing safe with the ball. He's throwing right. difficult cross court passes, pocket passes, lobs. He's doing all of that. Those are susceptible to turning the ball over five, six times. And you wouldn't hate him if he did turn it over five or six times. He doesn't do that. So, man, I, you're right. I, I, It's very, very rare you see a point guard, you know, that's got this entire package. One body. Halliburton is, is elite. The other thing they have going for them is they play a very spread offense. And I've never been the biggest Miles Turner guy. I think he's a good, very good player, but I've never been that high on him. I think he's in a great system. Like he really brings this group together with his floor spacing. He's been, in my opinion, reading the court very well and a lot of these pick and pops and different things. And 
I kind of like this style for them. Matherin can score, Turner can pop, Bruce Brown can can penetrate or can 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 shoot, and Obi Toppin brings the speed and athleticism. And then off the bench, you got a bunch of shooters. So this lineup, the reason I think that they're going, if they're not going to be number one on offense, I think they're going to be near the top all year, is because they play a style that breaks the game. I mean, I think five out is a game breaker for most teams. They get up 48 threes in a night like tonight. Like they know how to spread the court and make you run around. And then they have somebody in, in Halliburton that can completely take advantage of it. So to me, I mean, I'm, I'm curious what you think of, of Miles Turner. But I, but for me, they have the personnel to run the system. And and that's why I just think it's going to be this elite offense all year. I love Miles Turner. So I think, I think I'm definitely hiring on the new, and I always have. And the reason is the consistency that he gives you at that spot. And here's the thing. You don't have to run anything for Miles Turner. I, I'm a big fan of guys that find their ways to production without having the game stop for them so that it's their turn. He doesn't need it. He can he can pick and pop. He can space out on an ISO. He can, he's good. He's good shooter, like trailing the play. And every now and then, he'll go give you that pick, slide, dive to the rim for a dunk because he's athletic. But And then on top of it, He's been one of the best rim protectors in the league, like during his time in the league. So yeah. I think what more do you want out of a center? He's, you know, he's like for his career, right around 30 minutes, just under, just under 14 points, seven boards, two and a half blocks, 50% from the field, 78% from the line. I'm, I mean, sign me up for some of that, man. When you look around the league at the center position, the guys that are doing better than that statistically are guys that – you're going to have to slow things down for, right? and it's going to be it's going to be them on this possession. And look, some of those guys are the, some of the best players in this league, like Embiid and Jokic. I get it. A lot of teams they don't have this in Miles Turner. They have guys that you don't need to run plays for. They're not nearly as productive as Miles Turner is. So I think he's the perfect fit for this team. It seems like his name's been on the trading block for the last eight years. Right, like, right? his name is constantly up. But guess what? He ain't going anywhere. And there's yeah. a reason for it. It's not because there's not a market for him. Teams right. need him. It's because Indiana, at the end of the day, knows all the things that I just said are true. This is hard to replace because he's so consistently productive for them, and he likes playing defense. He likes being that last line of defense, which a lot of guys just don't give that to right. you. And and the the irony of it, you mentioned it been on the trade block, been in rumors, this or that. The irony is, I I just think this is a perfect team for him. Like this specific way they play, he is the perfect guy to be running it. You know, the other thing they have, all these things we're talking about, five out. They're taking forty eight threes. They have a lot of different creators, a lot of different guys that are empowered to take the you know the ball off the bounce. This looks like a fun team to play for, and they play with a joyfulness. And given where they are in their development, again, not a contender, but they want to make the playoffs. They want to make a statement and kind of start building towards something. Joyfulness is such an important part of basketball at that stage. It can't be a slog. You need to have discipline. It needs to be work still. But to me, I watch all these guys and they look happy with how the game is being played. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're shooting so well from three. They have so many guys. When you feel, when the ball is popping and everybody is involved in it, I just think it elevates every everybody's effectiveness and that's what i see from this team i couldn't agree more it, it galvanizes a locker room i've been on both sides of the spectrum as a player and when, when you have when you capture that special feeling that guys trust each other and what happens is you understand the mentality of when it's my turn i expect to get it meaning when i'm when i'm open like i'm the next pass when you run action like the next pass is one more supposed to be made and it's supposed to come to me i expect that to happen conversely 
you should expect me to do that for you as well. And when you can create that and nobody feels like there's any agendas, there's no agendas for anybody right. on the court, which I think right. I feel safe in saying right. that yeah. describes their roster. When you've got that, you can even you might not have superstar wing scorer like a lot of teams think you need to have in this league or a superstar big like like the two guys I mentioned, a beater Jokic. You might not have that. But if you've got a point guard that hops it like this and enough good offensive players that shoot it and you play that style of unselfishness, you can do great things in this league offensively. And that's that's what Indiana looks like to me. And that's why I think you said there's so much fun to watch. It's a funny comp because I think these two coaches are polar opposites, George Carl and Rick Carlisle. But this team reminds me of the 2013 Nuggets that had Ty Lawson and Danilo Gallinari and just a bunch of good players that spread you out, five out, shooting lots of threes, running and gunning. And it's kind of funny that Carlisle is a guy leading a, leading a team like this. But, at, hey, that's a great coach that can can kind of do a lot of different styles. Um, let's take a break because on the other side, I want to get to Benedict Matherin, who – you identified as a player you thought was very interesting coming into the year, and I want to hear why. And he had arguably his best game of the season last night as a two-way player. So we're going to dive into Benedict Matherin on the other side, as well as a couple other notes from around the league. First, I want to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook. The wait is over. Basketball is back. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. We've got the in-season tournament tonight. Those are some of the most fun games. You know teams are going to be locked in. You know you're not going to have like a sleepy, oh, it was Friday night and they weren't paying attention. They're going to be locked in. So you can look at that slate and make your bets. You can make a same-game parlay, or you can bet on all the in-season tournament games tonight as part of this multi-leg parlay. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. Really helps it out if you use our promo code ALLNBA. New customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Uh, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsible, responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner of Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 and older, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions and responsible gaming resources. All right. What I've enjoyed about this show is we have a lot of, we have a passion for the game. We like to break down the details, but we don't always like the same types of players. Everybody has a mold of player that you like or dislike. Benedict Matherin would not have been on my list of players that I would have found most interesting. And he's not my mold of player. Now he had a great game last night. I'm curious what it is that you, because you like him, I, I take it. I'm curious what you see in him that makes you so intrigued. I think, I think. look, the first thing that you have to have in order to get on my radar when, when you're a college player getting ready to come into the draft or after you now get your feet wet a little bit and I'm watching you, I have to see the competitive nature. And, and believe it or not, not everybody has it. Yeah. And you'd be surprised yep. at how many guys don't have it. 
Yep. And that's kind of, kind of done with you. It doesn't mean you won't have a good NBA career and put up numbers and all that kind of stuff. It, that that special something isn't quite there, you know, it, it beating in your chest. He, he had that. I could see that in college coming out. Um, I saw him enough to know that, like, this guy likes to compete, man. He does not like to lose. So we yeah. talked about this with, with Anthony Edwards a little bit, right? you got to have some of that in you. He has that quality. So now let's just talk about then what, what's at his ceiling, his skill set overall. I just think he's got a lot of bounce, obviously. And he was known more for that, I think, in college than anything, like his, his athleticism. Uh, he put, put you on some highlights. But I was watching him and saying, I like the way he his stroke to me was close enough to being like a really good shooting stroke that a, a few tweaks once he gets to the league and gets around people that are a little bit higher caliber helping him. I think he has the chance to become like a, a really, you know, big time three point shooter. Yeah. So I liked his stroke. I liked, he's got the bounce, the stroke. He wasn't necessarily great at creating with his handle or creating his own shot for himself. He's already better at that now in a year of just in a handful of games than he was coming out. So I know he's putting the time in. And I think that the, the 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 physical package that he's in, the strength, his ability yeah. to absorb contact, that translates well when he drives and finishes. Now his we can get into this, but his free throw numbers are down this year. I think it's something he needs to start to focus on. They're down significantly from his rookie year, and that's the only reason his scoring numbers are down because everything's pretty much the same across the board: shot attempts, field goal percentage, three point percent, all that. But he's just yeah. not getting to the line as much. So hopefully he's not settling. Too much. He's not being, uh, you know, not active enough. But that's something he needs to work on. But his physical, just, just stature, to me, lends itself to a to prototypical NBA two guard that's going to have a lot of success. And I'm starting to see now he's getting on the glass. He's taking on eleven boards last game. Yep. Last two games, he's averaged twenty four and ten. Now you're getting that out of your two guard spot. That's high level production. He also yeah. in the game he took on the, the task on several possessions in the fourth quarter of guarding Giannis. And he got a huge strip on a play yeah. when Giannis tried to ISO him at the top of the key and drive on him, and he raked down and came up with that strip late. So I think he's taking on the challenge. He likes to compete. I think he's got the physical tools, uh, and, and he's got the physical stature that are going to enable him to do certain things athletically in this league. So I just – I'm a fan, man. And, and, you know, it's fun when you like a guy and then he plays as well as he did last night. And I, and I had told you before the game last night, yeah, I want to watch Matherin tonight. You know, yep. you're like, okay, interesting. I'll take a look at Matherin maybe a little, yep. little bit more. And it, thank goodness for me, he had a great game. Yep. So I don't look like a fool. It's happened a couple times on this show that Legs has told me, hey, let's talk about this guy tomorrow. And then the game, he pops off. So Legs, uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's pretty good at this, uh, predicting what's going to happen here. Um, the thing about Matherin that I don't like, and again, I'm trying to figure out if I'm over-indexing because I like stylist. I, there's specific styles I like and traits I like. And, you know, trying to be open to this. To me, he seems best when he stops the ball. And this is the thing that, that I wonder. Like, he's a very good isolation player. He likes to play with the ball a little bit. He has a lot of – he gets a guy on an island, and he'll do some stuff before taking a step back. If you watch his isolation possessions – he takes more contested threes in those situations than I would like for a mold of player. That being said, he's pretty good at it. <laughs> it's yeah, not like it's a weakness of his, but I do wonder when you see this up-tempo style, the moments where he pops the most for me is when he makes quick reads, when he catches on the move and attacks, but it seems to be that's not his nature. Do you feel he needs to be more of that, or do you like that he's a change-of-pace guy that can hold the ball and, and take advantage of switches? 
You know, I, I think if I, if I were to look at the area of his game offensively that I want to see growth, it's weird. It's going to be a weird thing because you're going to think, how in the world are you noticing this? All right. But this is the yeah. way my mind works. And this is how I watch a game because I was so intent on watching him specifically last night. I bet there were half a dozen times in that game when they got a defensive rebound or a steal or some sort of change of possession on their defensive end. And now here they go. They're off to the track beat. And he's starting that in an advantageous position, meaning above the three-point line defensively. So he's got a chance to get out. He ended up a half a dozen times like not understanding how to run the floor, where to run the floor, what slot am I in, and looking over the wrong shoulder for the basketball. And I was kind of like, that's really odd. Like, if because I'm saying if he was wider right here, that ball was going to be advanced to him mm. against a backpedaling defender. And and he that's when he is going to excel because he's got so much upper body strength and explosive ability, and he can stop if you want to back up on a rim. He'll stop at 18 feet or a three pointer even on the break. But he like didn't get the ball because he was in the wrong slot, running a weird way, and like you can mm. see the guard kind of like looking up, but they can't advance the ball. And then he would just like circle out to the other side where now he's just kind of standing there camped out and he's not involved in the possession. I think, and if you just talk about half a dozen times a game, if that's like his MO and his pattern, I watched enough tape on him this year to know that. My goodness, think about that. For a guy like that, that's a scorer. To give him another four to six opportunities maybe where he could have been in a more advantageous position if he just positioned himself properly. Well, now you're talking about another maybe two, three quality shots. Now you're talking about a guy that's averaging 18 points a game. Like, that's how fine a line it is in this league when you have the ability, if you're not taking advantage of your opportunity. So that for me, like the, the isolation stuff takes too many step back. That, that basically you just described the entire league. That's the whole <laughs> league that does that in ISO. Okay. And that's just kind of like the modern day player. That's what they do. And they work on that stuff, the side steps and all that all summer. And then they want to yeah. do it in the game. That's just the way it is. I want to see him attack more. Uh, in the open floor or turning off a ball screen, going to the rim downhill, getting somebody's chest and getting to the line. And then those opportunities in the open floor, position yourself better, get wider, get ahead of the ball and make sure you're turning to the inside of the court so they can advance you the ball because they want to, especially Halliburton. And now you really have somebody on their skates as you're attacking them and taking off and getting into their chest and getting to the rim. So that's kind of a weird technical thing that I'm seeing in him, but I really really think it's legit. I haven't said that about too many players maybe ever since I've been yeah. doing this. He definitely didn't have a good feel in the open floor last night. Well, it, it points to, I think, the larger thing I'm talking about, which is, you know, this isn't a perfect metaphor, but I like comparing scores to running backs and receivers. Running back meaning the ball's in your hands and what do you do to kind of get to the rim and do this, whereas a receiver is somebody who moves off ball in a way that sets themselves up for open shots. And I think players, especially players like Matherin, they think in terms of when the ball's in my hands, what do I do with it? When oftentimes half your points, especially in a system like this where the ball's popping, you have great point guard play, both for the starter and, and, and off the bench, that if you work before the catch, if you really learn how to read the court, run the proper lanes, cut the timing, the screening off ball that's going to open up, when you learn those things, that's where you get the most points in the NBA. And so I feel like he's one of those guys that, to me, that's the part. And and I also feel it's one of those things that more often than not, if you're deficient in that part of the game, I just feel like very few players become proficient in it over yeah, time. I hear you. I hear you. It's a fair point. And a, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's like 
thing that you talk about when you use the word feel, right? Feel for it. Yeah. Yep. And do you, do you, can guys improve their feel for the game? Yes, they can. It's, I understand it's probably not something you want to bet on in most cases, but I've seen it enough. And I think what you draw on to think that he can figure that part out, there's no doubt that he looks hungry to me. Now, mm. some of the guys that don't right. have the feel early in their career, Adam, and, and you know, we might notice it and say, I oh, doesn't look like he has a feel. And then five years later, they still don't have a feel. You know why? Because right, right. they're not really grinders, man. They're not grinders. Mm. They're not, they're not taking that, they're looking at that film at home before they go to bed. They're not getting in there early and doing that, working with their staff and looking at that, watching themselves and learning how to improve those details. Most of those guys that don't have a feel, they don't do those things. So they just never have a feel and they get by because they're yeah. talented. I think Matherin has a little bit more hunger to him than that. At least I hope he does because I, th I think he's got a chance. I'm not saying this guy's going to be a superstar. I think, sure. though, he's a guy that you can pencil in as your starting two guard for a long time and you're going to be set because I also think he wants to get really good defensively. Well, let's get to that part because for him to be that, the offensive part, he's talented enough that I think he can be that even if it's flawed and he, in my opinion, can get a lot better. But he's still really good offensively. He's just a talented offensive player. Defensively, Halliburton's not the best even though he has a lot of length, but he's your star. You're going to build around him. I think you need a good defensive two next to him and last night, there was a great write-up uh, uh, on the Patreon account, Murder, She Wrote, Caitlin Cooper, who does a fantastic job of breaking down the X's and O's of the Indiana Pacers. I highly recommend following her. Did a breakdown on his defense last night because he has not been a great defensive player this year. But last night, it's not just the strip that you're talking about on Giannis, you know, some of the big stops he got late. But it was even on Middleton. He did some nice things of adjusting throughout the game to take away. Middleton likes to go over his left shoulder and get to the middle. He was taking that away and forcing him away from the from the middle. He just did some solid things in that game defensively. And to me, he's a guy who his worst games are like a zero on defense. I mean, really, really bad. But last night you saw that he could actually be a good defender with his size and just with a little bit more focus on that end. Where do you see his upside as a defender? And, it, and it, it, he falls into a category of a lot of guys that, and this is the truth because I've seen it. I lived in that world. They don't. There's not any accountability for them defensively as they as they rise up through the high school and AAU ranks, right? And that's where this game, that's where it's all decided, right? These elite sneaker circuits. You're on one of those. You're on a team full of loaded five star recruits. Some, you know, some of those guys are going to the league too. And guess what? The coaches, a lot of cases of those guys, terrified of losing that player. They're not going to have their foot up their rear end about getting back on transition defense and keeping the ball in front. No, they're out there to showcase themselves offensively. No accountability. Then you go to a school for a year, in, in a lot of cases, and you're just not going to be that honed in if you think there's another level to you. So a lot of guys get to the league, and they just – you're going, man, man, based on what you look like physically – why aren't you a lot better defensively? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. If you're that quick with your first step, if you're that explosive and taking off on guys, how are you not able to do an adequate job of, of getting down and keeping the ball in front defensively against these guys? It's because they've never really had to or been asked to. And I think he is showing me early. I do think he wants to get there. Now, look, we can revisit Benedict Matherin in march or at the end of the year beginning we of should. next yeah and let's revisit it and let's see his growth over the course of the year specifically on that end because i think it's going to tell you a lot about what this guy's dna is and how great he wants to be 
The other guy, I just want to give a quick shout out. I love Andrew Nembard. <laughs> Again, this yeah, is when we talk about player molds and like what you like. He's the type of player I just absolutely love. Um, so I'm pretty high on him and he's earned those backup minutes. He's now kind of a, a, a every night key piece of their team and key, key piece of their roster. And I think he's just going to continue to be that going forward. Um, I think I coming into the show legs, Caitlin Cooper's a great writer, and it's basketball she wrote. And I kept telling myself, "I'm going to say murder she wrote." Man, you actually, I didn't, I didn't call you out on that. But I was like, I was thinking to myself, "Man, oh man, the murder she wrote person is, is breaking down X's and O's in basketball." I'm like, my goodness, you talking about multi. I'm so, I don't know, I don't know if she's watching. I'm so sorry, Kayla. I knew I was going to do it, and then sure enough, I ended up screwing it up. Um, all right, let's move on because we have some mailbag questions here, and I want to make this a big part of the show. People come into legs with some mailbag questions. And I want to start. We have an Orlando Magic question. And right. last night's, we didn't get to last night's game, but we had a very interesting Orlando Magic question. Let's see. Producer Emma, what do we have here? This comes from Ben Regal. He says, what do you think the Magic should do at the point guard position? Fultz isn't willing to shoot. Black is playing well, but inexperienced. There's a log jam. Um, legs, last night to me, the Magic, we didn't talk about this game a whole lot. The Magic wilted down in the fourth quarter, as they have done a lot this year. Played great, built a lead in the fourth quarter. It gets to crunch time. I think they scored once over that entire stretch. Point guard play to me is a real issue here. What do you what do you see here? Massive issue. Massive issue. And, you know, they've got a lot of high picks in this team. They're interesting to watch. They're, they're fun to watch. I, I think you and I agree. Bancaro is the best of the group yep. in terms of upside and what he's going to be in this league. Here's the problem. They've got last night, for instance, they had a, they had four guards that played a total of 100 minutes. And I'm not counting Ingles. Like Ingles, to me, is more of a forward that handles the ball. I'm talking about their actual like lead guards or off guards that handle the ball. At. Four guards in the game, 100 minutes between them, seven assists, seven turnovers. Okay? Now, you don't just go by raw numbers game because some teams run their offense through other guys, right? And so it's a little bit different. That's not the case here. Like They don't have, they don't have anybody – on their roster. And like guys I'm talking about are Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, Jalen yeah. Suggs, Anthony Black. Those right. are the four guys, right? None of those guys are a natural playmaking point guard. Right. Cole Anthony, probably the closest of that group, but Cole Anthony likes to get shots up. He's a scorer, he yeah. He's a scorer. And I think in the role he's in, and like if he's coming off the bench, I think he's even more going to fall into that mentality. Well, you know, I'm coming off the bench. I'm not going to come out here and try to get six dimes and take four shots. I'm going to get mine up. So he's 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 more of a scoring mentality. Suggs is not a guy that can run a team like that. Fultz has got decent passing skills. He's not a threat. He's not enough of a threat as a scorer. To, yeah. to, to, and that limits you as a passer and playmaker. And that's the case in Anthony Black, you know, he's just starting out. So I, they just don't have that on their roster. And it is a problem because you saw at the end of the game, what do they go to in, in the biggest possession of the game? They go to Franz Wagner in a one-on-one <laughs> isolate. And I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not dissing him at all. I really, I've told you this before on this show. I really yeah. like Franz Wagner a lot. That's not his thing. And he made a good kick out of Big Carroll missed an open look and then they lose the game. But, but that's that, that player has to be a higher level player in that situation, whether it's a ball screen or an ISO, which most leagues are going to get, most teams are going to go to. They don't have that caliber player to do that sort of thing where, you know, you're going to get quality looks because some of that's got to be look for yourself. Sorry, yeah. Adam, they just don't have that on their roster. I'm sorry, Ben Regal. They don't have that on their roster. <laughs> for 
They also don't make a lot of threes, you know, and this is, they don't have a lot of shooting. And I think that this makes it especially hard. I and mean, we just talked about the Pacers and all these great playmakers that they have. Well, part of it is they have a five out offense with shooters all around the court. You have an open paint. The Orlando Magic have a very good front court. They have a lot of good front court players, but not a lot of spacing. And I think that's part of it. I'll tell you what, though. Second time now really honing in on Anthony Black. I like this guy a lot. I'm such yeah. a fan of his. He plays, I mean, he's so long. He plays incredibly hard. And I just think he has the tools to be a very good, long-ranging defender on top of, you know, a, a, an offensive player. Again, we talk about mold. I just, he fits the mold for me of types of players I really like. So, um, well, I, listen, I, 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 I really like him too. And now based on your enthusiasm for him, I'm going to circle on the calendar the Benedict Matherin, Anthony Black matchup, so we can compare those two guys because you clearly like Anthony Black a lot more than Benedict Matherin. Just going to call you out right now. Get it out there right now. Indiana Pacers PR. Oh, no. Adam Adam is all about Anthony Black, does not give Benedict Matherin much love at all. No, obviously I'm teasing. I don't like where this is going, man. (laughs) You're probably going to be right about these more often than not. Another mailbag question. I like this one. What current team would be most fun if we could uh, drop Peak Legler onto the roster? I like this one. This is more a question for you. So Peak Legler, we're talking prime Legler here. What game would you or what team would you want to be dropped onto uh, and join the lineup? I would. It's Golden State. And and the reason is because (laughs) it's not it's not just because, you know, I I was a shooter and they, they take a lot of threes. No, I. And it's the, the game wasn't played that way in the in the 90s when I played, like in terms of stylistically with all that off-ball movement. But I'm just t- telling you, anybody that that played against me that, and, that knew, I was a freak about my, my conditioning and how I could run and move and cut and what I created for myself off the ball. Now, you know, depending on the system, some teams I had more of an opportunity to do that, some I didn't. Like when I was in Washington, think about this. On one team, we had – Jawan Howard, Chris Weber, Rashid Wallace, Ben Wallace, and George Mirasan. Okay, so guess where the ball was going to go? Most trips into the left block. Somebody was going to catch the ball on the left block. And then I was going to space out at the top of the key or the opposite wing and kind of wait for these double teams and knock down shots. Um, other teams, you know, I was in Dallas, it more of an opportunity to run. And I loved that because I was mm-hmm. relentless in running guys into the ground and knowing they were they were gonna they were gonna wear out before I was, and you're gonna run into a shot. So the fact that Golden State values all that off-ball movement and running, man, I lived for that. And so I would love to see what that style would have been like with the ball hopping that much and rewarding your ability to move. Yeah. I gotta get you saying ball popping. You're a ball hopping guy. I'm a ball popping guy. So we're gonna have yeah, to yeah, another, yeah. Hopping, another... hopping, popping, yeah. Both. I gotta Both. I gotta convert you to popping. Bottom line is move that thing. That's the bottom line. Uh, best five players from Europe ever to play in the association. This is a really good one. Um, well, wow, that's, uh, that's I'm going through my you know database here on the spot. Obviously, uh, you know you get Dirk, yeah, Jokic, yeah, Giannis, there's three right there. So there's three. And now you got, you know, you can start asking questions about it. You, you know, is, is Luca got enough of a body of work? Yeah, right. I think so. I think Luca's gonna go down <laughs> as one of the, you know, look, he's gotta get he's gotta he's gotta be on teams that win. 
So, and he's got a, he's got he's a got conference like, finals. He's got a conference finals trip, does. which is pretty good. So he does, but you know, it's, there's, there's man, there's a lot, there's a lot still there for him, but as far as just yeah. an, an individual talent. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to put him in there. Now you start going guys like who else would be in there? Powell, Powell Gasol, Marcus Gasol, Tony Parker, Tony Parker. I think. Yeah. He's in the mix. Rosman Petrovic, who's a guy that a lot of people, the younger listeners don't know who the heck I'm talking about right now, but Google draws <laughs> Petrovic. By the yeah. way, speaking of speaking about the real quick story, speaking about moving without the ball, and it's the late great Drazen Petrovic died tragically yeah. in a car accident on the Autobahn in Germany. Um, he so we had the same agent, and he was with the Nets, and I was in South Jersey, and so he's like connected us. Hey man, you want to go up and get some workouts in with Drazen? This is one summer, and I went up there, and I and I I thought I was going to die, and I was a guy that really prided myself in how hard I worked. I mean, I, I, I thought I was yeah. out working everybody. I couldn't believe what this guy was doing on a daily basis. Um, and, and his game reflected that again, constant motion, relentless running, uh, super talented scorer. And so, you know, am I forgetting anybody? Because I think Petrovic's a guy that would have to get in the discussion. Yeah. I, I'm so, always so curious about him. Another guy from the nineties that is sort of, um, has this mystique is Arvita Sabonis. Now, obviously, he came over late, so maybe if we're just talking NBA career, but what do you remember about him? I'll tell you exactly what I remember. It's a great story. I was in high school in Richmond, Virginia, and at the time, University of Virginia had Ralph Sampson, three-time college player of the year, okay? First, first player to do that. They played an exhibition game when Ralph Sampson was at University of Virginia against the Russian national team at the Richmond Coliseum. And I went down there. And of course, we had heard about this Arvita Sabonis guy. And I'm telling you right now, when you watch those two guys play, you were kind of like, oh my goodness. Like this guy might be better than Samson. He was, he, he first of all, he's, he's goes, he'll go down as one of the top five passing big men of all time. Yeah. And he was thin back then. He put on a lot of beef and brawn when he got to the league, yeah. and particularly he was in Portland. Um, had a head the size of a refrigerator. I remember that. His head was just massive. <laughs> His hands were massive. And yeah. uh, Andre the Giant style, really, just the, uh, the proportions. Man. And he was so, for a guy that big to be that skilled with his ball handling and passing and just playmaking, super impressive. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying to look at some others, like Peja and Vlade, Kukoc, yeah, and Shrimp. No, I mean, those are honorable mentions, I think. I think we're going anybody, with Jokic, Dirk, Giannis. forgetting. Well I, can, well, I know one guy that's going to probably join that list here in the next you know, several years. I think we might put him in there, but let's give him, let's give him a few years. All right? Yeah, let, let, let's wait and see. Uh, I like this question here. Can Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun be on the same team given their individual play styles? Now, what's interesting about this one to me, and I think we got to talk, we, we probably need to talk Rockets next week because they're on a bit yeah. of a heater right now. Yeah. And they have, those two players right now are a plus 17.1 net rating. That's enormous. When those two guys are on the court, they have a plus 17. So part of me wonders this question, if it's an old question, you know, we're thinking about last year, you have a new coach in there who I think is probably bringing some discipline, just knowing what he brought to Boston, bringing some discipline to a young group. They have some good wins over their belt, two against Sacramento, now one against the Lakers the other day. To me, I actually think these skill sets mix if they can become disciplined and focus on the right things. You have Shangun who can bring the defense outside a little bit, great at the handoff game. 
you know, just good, good at seeing the court, good passer. And then you have Jalen Green, who benefits from having a good handoff player. So to me, I actually think they can play together. And the numbers so far this year bear it out. What do you think, Legs? Yeah, I think the question is because of you know the the attacking you know scoring mentality of Jalen Green, right? He's not a yeah. guy that's going to necessarily set people up or facilitate. I kind of agree with you though, and and I think it's certainly a relationship that organization needs to cultivate to make sure that there's always a comfort level between those two guys. So I I kind of agree with you that two young players this this talented together should work. I wouldn't focus as much on the fact that Jalen Green is just like this, you know, head down scorer. I'm going to go and attack every time I get it. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to freeze him out or, or he's going to get frustrated or they can't play together because I think Green's going to create opportunities for him just based on his ability to attack defenses and break them down and give right. him some space to do the things he likes to do. So I, I kind of agree with you. I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a oil and water situation. They just got to grow. I mean, they're they're both, I would say, immature players. And, you know, this year is a big like, hey, let's see if both of them kind of get over the hump and start to become more refined, more mature. And early returns are good, especially this last week was really good for them. <clears throat> they might pop up later in the Who in the Week segment. What is this? Is the next question. What is the next evolution in basketball? We've hit a peak in the modern era with everyone shooting threes. What's next? We're in it. We're living it on a nightly basis. And by the way, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the question. We haven't necessarily reached a peak with the three-point <laughs> era. I mean, I really don't I really don't know that we have because right. because you think about think about what's going on right now with every generation of players. And right now there are kids out there that are, you know, 12 to 15 years old that are starting right. to get into serious basketball for the first time on travel teams and AAU teams and, and that kind of thing. This is what they're watching every night. And guess what else they're watching? They're watching who's getting what in terms of contracts. They're seeing yeah. who's signing what. Okay. So, and they're seeing guys that you wouldn't think have the freedom to take sidestep threes and step back threes or one pass up the floor threes, you know, with nobody ahead of you except three defenders. They're seeing it every night and they're realizing, like, well, nobody seems to have a problem with this. And it looks like these are the guys that get the most opportunities. And this is what the league looks like. Well, now I'm I'm going to start adding that. And guess what else is happening? Bigger and bigger players are adding this. It's not just the guards anymore. Now the bigs, 6'10 and up, these guys right. are adding that to their game. And they see the, the perimeter uh, play of some of these big guys, and they want to play that way. So I don't know that we have seen, believe it or not, the peak of three-point shooting. So I think before you start thinking about the next thing, Let's see if at any point this starts to peter out or start to go in the other direction because right. there's this evolution of bigs that come into the league that want to play in the paint. And now we're going to cater more toward those guys. I don't know where it is. I don't know that that's headed, but I don't think that's anytime soon. So I think we're going to continue to see an upward tick in threes for a while. So I think when you say what's the next thing, I think we're in that next thing right now. More more of the same. You know, Steph Curry, we, we always say there'll never be another Steph. Steph might be the new Steph. Steph is shooting 47% on threes this year, taking 13 a game. That's even for Steph Curry, that's absurd. Now it's early, you know, he'll go through slumps or what have you. But, you know, to your point, the limit might be higher than we think. And then I think another thing here, as the game becomes more international and opened up to more and more countries and, and reaches of the earth, we're finding taller players. 
I mean, when yeah. you limit yourself to the U.S., there's only so many seven foot people. But when you go to the world, OK, now there's all kinds and you start to develop them. So I do think we've seen the league get longer on the wings and we see a seven foot four Victor Wimbanyama. That's the thing that I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Cooper Flag coming in as a seven foot wing type player. I just I wouldn't be surprised if our twos, threes and fours started to reach seven feet more regularly. And Kevin Durant is less of an anomaly 10 years from now. You start to have guys that are just 6'11 with with good perimeter skills. I think that'll be uh, more and more common as well. So the stretching out of the game is part of it. Last That's one good, from the mail. That's oh, a good go point. Real quick, I just want to add on to that. For those that you dropped the name there that I've been talking about for two years, if you're not familiar and you're listening to this with Cooper Flag, you better do yourself a favor and go check out some Cooper Flag videos. Um, I think he's going to be the first pick in the draft. Um, yeah. In, in in what is it easy to class it 2024 right? reclassified so yeah he reclassified yeah so he he reclassified. he's going yeah. yeah so yeah so he, he this is one of the best um american-born prospects like we've seen in a long time right. he does it all and he does it on both ends he put yeah. up stat lines in the eybl which is the top aau circuit league in the country you know normally the best players in that league that are end up being lottery picks those guys average like 21 22 points a game probably the top guys in the eybl nike circuit this guy's put it was putting up stat lines of like 38 15 and 10 blocks yeah. like it just watch the videos and look and he's got it all deep range mid-range great bounce uh and an edge to him he's got a nastiness to him that bodes well for him getting to the league he's going to duke he just committed um, so you get to see him for a year at Duke, and then you're going to see him in the league. And I think he's going to probably be the number one pick when he comes out. It's one of those things like nobody broke the four-minute mile. And once it was broke, everybody started to break it. And I just kind of feel like the NBA is that way where a guy like Cooper Flagg 20 years ago maybe is more of a forwardy type player doing forward type things. But because the NBA has opened up the possibility of what seven-footers can be, now he's a little bit of everything. He's an everything type player, not just a forward type player. I think we'll see more and more of that. Last question here from the mailbag. What teams have been the most fun for you to watch this year? Or what parts of basketball are most enjoyable? I like this one. It's early. But what are the teams that you right now are saying are the most fun? I think one team for me would be Philly. I think that I, there's, there's, a, there's just a, a lightness in the air with this group that mm. Maxi gives them because of his bounce and buoyancy and smile and fun and exuberance. And he's unflappable. He, he just keeps coming. Um, that has something that I think they've installed between the Ben Simmons issues that they had when with his what he turned into at the end of his time in Philly and then the drama. And then you go and you bring in Harden in his place. And, you know, certainly some nights it looked like they might be unbeatable, that combination. But then you get to the playoffs and everybody's on edge because you're waiting for him to struggle. And he would repeatedly in big spots. It's been hanging over their head now for a number of years. Not to mention that, like, the injuries they had early in their career for Embiid and Simmons. It there feels like a real belief with that organization, and a lot of it has to do with with Tyrese Maxey now being the starter and what he brings, and, and getting hard and moving on from hard, and moving on from Simmons. You've got a new coach in there, so made some fresh fresh thoughts there as well for that group. And so I think Philly for me would be the top of the list. I'm really enjoying watching them nightly. They're definitely up there. Um, and you're right. They play a more, much more fun style of basketball. So that's part of it. I mean, for me, I'm a Denver guy, of course. I've just loved watching the Nuggets, you know, obviously because it's personal to me. But also, I mean, the Jokic style of play to me is my favorite style of basketball there is. We've mentioned Minnesota. They're high on the list for me. 
Um, I like watching Sacramento a lot more when De'Aaron yeah. Fox plays. I, they're, they're, to me, they're a fun team to watch. I like the fact that they've got you know a, a, a number of role players that were almost like kind of like outcasts from other places that have gone right. there and really really found their importance in the league and more relevance because they're on a good team. So I think Sacramento is a really fun team for me to watch. Yeah, and then the last one we talked about today, but the Pacers—they're just always a fun watch. They move the ball, they shoot the ball, they play. They—you mentioned Philly having fun. They have fun. Uh, they have a lot of fun. Legs. Let's get out of here as we do every Friday by talking about who won the week. Who won the week in the association? I'm going to give you a couple candidates here, and then I'll let you kind of give your answer. Dylan Brooks, much maligned. Got some high-profile defensive assignments this week and did a great job. Helped lead the Houston Rockets to a 4-0 record. You could look at Anthony Edwards, who was 3-0 this week. He averaged 32.7 rebounds, 7 assists. He was a plus 80 over the course of those three games. That's the highest of anybody over the last week. And, of course, he had that incredibly clutch overtime against the Boston Celtics. You could go with Jokic, who led the Nuggets to a 4-0 record this week. His numbers – its he, we have to grade Jokic on a curve. He averaged 33, 14, and 9, which is insane numbers, but also kind of his average. Um, and then I thought he played three perfect games over the course of the weekend. Those are some of the guys I had down as potential candidates. Where did you go? I'm going to go in a different direction because I think for this one, last week I went with Luka Doncic, yeah. um, the way he played in the start to the year that their team had. So this, this week, instead of going with a player, I'm going to go with a team, and I just talked about him. I'm going with Philly. It's because yeah. of – well, number one, they're seven and one right now. They've won seven straight. Uh, it's also because of that showdown with Boston. Yeah. And you know, Boston, Boston comes in there, and you know, you look at the way Philly season ended a year ago, right? And that was a critical turning point in, in that series, Game Six in Philadelphia. Um, and then, of course, Boston went out and blew them out in a Game Seven at home to end their season. So now you get Boston this early in the year. Boston like doing incredible things offensively. They've added pieces with Holiday and Porzingis. They almost look unbeatable at times. And Philadelphia not only beats them, the type of game that it was was really important for Philly to win against that team. It was more like an alley fight, lower scoring, big possessions late in the game that Philadelphia was able to manage and, and get out of there. So I, I think I give it to Philly right now. You know, if they lose that game to Boston, despite all the things I said about them and moving on from Harden and the way Maxie's played, you know, you lose to Boston. It's almost like getting hit over the head, yeah. basically the way the Philly, the way the yeah. Philly season just ended, right? Yeah. Getting it's like getting hit over the head with and reminding you, you know what? You guys are off to a great start. You don't have Harden. Maxie's playing great. You still, still got to deal with us. You still, still got to deal with yep. us. So that that I think that really gives that team a big boost, man. A lot of confidence going forward that maybe. Maybe they have enough to upset that Boston-Milwaukee uh, train wreck that we think is coming. I love how much you reference these, like, not I don't want to call them moral victories. That has a negative connotation. But sometimes it is important to send these messages early in the year. And I think back to Nuggets-Lakers in opening night. You know, the Lakers made a point to let everybody know that was a big game. We're going to send a statement. And instead, they lose by 20. And I right. have to think there was a little bit of a psychological thing there of like, oh, man, maybe we actually just aren't good enough and – you know, this or that. So for the 76ers, I think it's the opposite. 
that could have happened to them. Instead, they sent the message to Boston that things are different for Philly this year. And I think it's a great, I think that's a great pick for who won the week. Let us know in the comments down below on YouTube who you think won the week. Let us know your comments on Benedict Matherin. Whatever you have on the show, we're reading them. I'm personally seeing every single one of them. So I always appreciate you guys interacting with the show. And as I mentioned, this show will become more and more interactive. Heading into the weekend, we have the in-season tournament. It's back, legs. This in-season tournament this weekend. Big games. Oklahoma City, who is 0-1 in the in-season tournament, plays Sacramento. If Oklahoma City wins that one, they're right back in the fold to winning you know, their group play. If they don't, they're probably eliminated. Lakers-Suns is probably the two best teams in their pool. They go head-to-head in the in-season tournament tonight, so that's a big game uh, for who advances out of that one. The Clippers play the Mavericks. Another one, those two teams are behind Denver in their pool. Denver 1-0, Mavs 0-1, Clippers haven't played. If the Mavs lose that one, they're out basically for the tournament. If the Clippers lose that one, you know, we have a little round robin thing going. And then the Nets and Celtics, I think those are all good in-season tournament games. Look at me, Legs. I'm into the yeah, in-season tournament standings you already. Are, you are, listen, man, somebody's paying you on the side. You are hyping this <laughs> in-season tournament, man. You must have money on this or something. But I want to give one piece of advice to all the people that are going to watch those games. If you turn the TV on, all right, and yeah. you think there's something wrong with the color yeah. of your television, don't go and start adjusting. It's, it's the court. Look at this wild court, and that tells you right there, wow, okay, this game has a little bit more meaning than your yep. typical regular season game. Yep. Hey, I'm into it, man. You're right. Wear your sunglasses when you watch it. Um, that's it for us this week, guys. We appreciate everybody that's uh, been watching all along. Our six shows under the belt now. We're back every week. We try to add more and more layers to this show, guys. So I'm excited for where it's headed. If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Say something nice about legs. Say something nice about me. Say something nice about the show. And then, of course, on YouTube, where we're really trying to build our live audience. Go ahead and subscribe there. All City, All NBA Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone. Like the mayor.